When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Here's Dan Juma, edge of the D, pulls the trigger from distance and finds the top corner. What a strike from Arnold Dan Juma. Magic. And Bournemouth are spinning the decks, playing the tunes at Norwich's promotion party. Hello and welcome to episode 121 of Back of the Net, the AFC Bournemouth podcast. On Saturday night, Cherries face Norwich City live on Sky, with the away side coming off a decent spell of five wins in a row. But they were up against a buoyant home side that had their promotion back to the Premier League confirmed after two results went their way. So, could Bournemouth make it six in a row? Of course we could. It was the joy of six. And it really was joyous. The Canaries, let's be fair, they've been head and shoulders above every other team in the Championship this season. And they aimed to put on a show after their return to the Premier League was confirmed. But with Boscombe needing the points to further escape Reading in 7th, they provided a bit of resistance and some to ensure that the Pookie party was somewhat muted. In this pod, it's myself, Sam Davis, joined by Jeff Hayward, Tom Jordan and Neil Dawson as we dissect what went on. Jeff, how are you? Pretty sexy. <laughs> oh, hello. Here we go. We've got Tom Jordan here as well. Tom, you all right? I wasn't expecting that from Jeff. I'm not even going to try and match it, but yeah, all smiles. And we've got Neil legs, you are, Tom. <laughs> Neil Dawson's here too. You right, Neil? I'm very good. Did he say sexy? Sexy. Sexy, right. That makes more sense, doesn't it, Tom? Yeah, a lot more. <laughs> <laughs> so, Jeff, I'll start with you. How was your weekend? You know, there are perfect days, aren't there? And, and yesterday was the perfect day. Yeah. I mean, for football... Don't mind anything else. Football, that's what we care about on this show, right? I mean, that was just about... Could you write the script any better than that for us yesterday? Mm, No, that's right. And Jeff said sixy. It was the joy of six, Tom. And it was under a manager that wasn't even meant to get the job. Funny how things work out, eh? Yeah, it's crazy how how football swings and turns. And, you know, I've been... uh, Speaking to Jeff O'Fair and just saying that, um, you know, it's mad that we've got six points off Norwich, zero off Sheffield Wednesday. That describes our season pretty well. But um, yeah, and after the first 15 minutes, which I'm sure we're going to, didn't see that coming. Results all went our way. It was just, like Jeff said, it was the, the perfect Saturday. And Neil, it's crazy how things change because not so long ago, we were all moaning and groaning, wondering whether we would even make the playoffs. And Bournemouth can actually secure their playoff place on Wednesday if we beat Millwall and Reading lose at Luton, who, let's be fair, turned over Watford. So it's going to be a difficult match for the Biscuit men. It, it could all be confirmed, Neil. 
It could, it could. And I think uh, we have, um, we've hit a run of form at the same time that everyone else seems to be dipping off their run of form. So, uh, so yeah, it's difficult. You don't want to tempt fate, but we're, we're we would certainly be going into the playoffs in a better shape than the ones that are coming into it with us. Yeah. So Norwich City then, Jeff, an unchanged side. But firstly, I suppose we've got to pay tribute to the Canaries, who've just been relentless all season, haven't they? And well-deserved. They've won so many games by the odd goal this season. I'm, I've lost count. You know, they, they don't they don't annihilate teams, but they win 1-0. They win 2-1. Uh, they've won a couple 3-2. And, and, you know, they've got, they've got some quality in that team. The spine of it is pretty much the same team that, that went down. But Pukki's a really good finisher. Buendia's a creative genius, as we saw. We'll talk about his defensive work later as well. Um, and Cantwell, you know, he's a, he's a live wire. And that, that, that Krull at the back as well, very experienced keeper. Hanley, good centre-half. So, you know, that team is a really good, solid unit. But we've also got a good side, Tom, and we were unchanged against them. And what do you think of the starting lineup? Happy? Yeah, I wasn't surprised. I think we've been um, kind of changing Pearson and Wilshire a lot, but I didn't expect it to happen in this one because it's a type of game that I expected Pearson to stay in for because you expect them to have more of the ball. Obviously, things developed in the game to change that. But um, yeah, I didn't really expect any changes. It's always whether Brooksy's you know, sharp enough to start, you know, maybe stand. But yeah, I didn't expect any changes. was more than happy to see that. And it's good to have that continuity at the moment and we're winning games so you're not going to want to change too much so yeah I was happy so in recent games we've managed to start fast start well 23 seconds I think one of the goals was for Dan Juma Neil probably the worst 15 minutes I've seen in a long time from AFC Bournemouth it was it was horrendous to watch wasn't it yeah and I was thinking god where's where's all the form gone I mean some of the passes were shocking I remember one where Steve Cook came out of defense looked up and managed to play it straight into the advertisement hoardings about 30, 40 yards away. And every pass, every touch, was it was just reminiscent of Christmas or just after Christmas. Um, it was uh, it was like we weren't seeing the side we'd seen in the, in the recent weeks. I mean, Norwich were going to be bang on it. They'd just been promoted. They'd come out. I know they're playing at home without a crowd, but they're still playing at home. They're going to have that verve that we had when we went to Charlton that year. Um, but even so, we were not at the races, were we? Not at all, Jeff. It didn't start too well, did it? And me and you both had our head on our hands in after three, four minutes. Yeah, the the sort of familiarity of people conceding possession really cheaply. It was it was happening all over the pitch, and um, you can't do that against a team like Norwich, who were quick on the counter, created space. Puki, what an intelligent piece of running that was, you know, from from um, from right to left, and uh, he picks up the ball. Cuts inside, you know, Kelly's out of position, the midfielder invisible. And um, I thought for a minute we'd snuffed it out. But uh, then Buendia makes a, a really good, intelligent run. Jeff lets him go and he gets a great ball from Puki, chips it, chips over Begovic. I mean, it was a, it was a brilliant goal. They seemed to be everywhere, didn't they, Tom? They were passing the ball so crisply and quickly and it was like men against boys it felt like we were playing man city or something you know they deserve yeah. credit because they were they were playing good football but we felt like we just weren't competing at all and like you say it looked men v boys and it looked like it might be a painful one for us um with them opening kind of 10 15 minutes but um yeah like, like neil said it didn't surprise me because you know just getting promoted i think if you 
I think not many of us remember the game that well, but if you watch the Charlton game back, it was probably our best performance of the season. We were unbelievable yeah. and we had already got promoted that day. So I think people thinking it might be easier for us, I think that was a bit naive. I thought they'd come out the traps well, play a lot of freedom and they're, they're a good footballing team. But um, yeah, we just weren't, it was almost like we were surprised at how good they were, which was surprising in itself. But yeah, we looked really panicky and um, a bit off it, but um, fortunately some things changed. Yeah, that's right. So Billing had an effort that was uh, blocked by Omadeli. And then I think um, David Brooks and Adam Smith were in and around the action. But yeah, it fell to Billing, fired a goal and uh, yeah. Omadeli got the block. But then there was a challenge that came in on 17 minutes. And credit to the referee, because when I saw this in real time, Neil, I honestly couldn't work out who was to blame. And there were some Norwich players shouting at the ref, Bournemouth players shouting at the ref. And in the end, it was it was probably the right decision. But talk us through what you saw. Yeah, well, originally, we all leapt off the sofa and said, um, thought Pearson was gone because he, he looked like he'd gone in two-footed. Mm. And I think the modern term is whether or not you're in control of your body or how they describe it. He didn't look like he was particularly in control of his body. So... Um, I, I thought, oh, Christ, he, he could get a red or a yellow there if the referee wants to, you know, become a homer. Then you, then you could sense that maybe that wasn't the case because of the reaction of some of the players, etc. And then, you know, then the, the Norwich, when the Norwich player got the red card, my initial thought, and probably still my thought, is if that had been on against Lerma or Pearson, I'd have been really disappointed. I think because of the force that Pearson went in with, the guy had to go in himself. And I think his leg just caught caught. Pearson so would I have wanted Lerma to have got sent off for that I'm not sure I would so uh, but I'm, I'm not complaining so yeah I, th I think I changed my mind about two or three times but to me it was a I think they call it an orange don't they half a yellow half a red I, I wouldn't have wanted Lerma to go yeah is that the type of challenge that the sin bin is perfect for Neil yeah when, when eventually it comes in what did you go what did the rest of you think don't leave it just to me did you think you agree or do you think it was a red I thought I thought on replays it was a red just because of the way the laws are written. Yeah. You know, it was it was over the top. It was it was showing his studs. It was dangerous. It was reckless, and he was he was off the ground. Um, even though uh, twenty or thirty years ago, when I was playing football, that would probably possibly have got a yellow. But you know, the rules are different nowadays. I think I think a shout out goes to the referee having a Premier League referee. Referee in that, that game made such a difference yesterday because so much of the officiating in the championship has been pretty average and poor. And I think the referees from the games I've seen largely get very influenced by the players and don't want to make the big calls. Mm. Yeah. Mr Scott, it made a big call and I think it was the right call. He would have made that in the Premier League, he makes it in the championship and he's stuck by his decision. Hats off to him. Yeah, I probably yeah, agree. Yeah, yeah, probably probably agree with what's, what's been said, Bri. I Same as Neil, I, I didn't no, when he come and showed a red card, I thought, is that for Pearson? What's going on? And then, um, yes, credit to the referee because I didn't see, you know, I thought I kind of thought Pearson made a bad tackle and then was kind of faking injuries to try and get away with it when he was on the floor. Um, seeing it back, I was the same. If it was one of our players, I'd be thinking, oh, that's a bit harsh. He didn't really mean to do that. It's the way that Pearson went in. But when I saw it back, I thought, you're going to go for that this day and age. You just are. And I think if the AR was there, I don't think they would have overturned the red card. I think they would have given it. It always looks worse, doesn't it? But um, fortunately, Pearson was all right. But yeah, I I thought that's always going to be a red. But um, yeah, massive advantage for us. So I still think the lad was probably, you know, I don't think he really meant to do it. It was one of them. But you're always going to get a red for that. So um, 
yeah, fair play to the ref. Yeah, Janunas got his marching orders then. And on Twitter, social media, there's been a lot of comments on our YouTube videos, Neil. And cheats, tin pot cheats, that's the term that we seem to have from a number of clubs. Um, was there any cheating with that? Or do we just almost um, make sure our players make the most of fouls like that? It's one of those situations, I think, that if you support a club, you've got a different opinion. Just like Leeds supporters in the 70s, um, you've got a different opinion of your own club. I think we've got a number of players and have had a number of players over the last six or seven years that know how to make the most of a tackle or a foul. Um, Callum Wilson, Mark Pugh, Ryan Fraser. Adam Smith is probably the the master of it. Now we've got Pearson. So, you know, it's, it's, it's part of the game. Um, we love it because we call it shithousery. Um, if you're playing against us, you're not going to like it. But that's the nature of football, isn't it? Yeah. So, Neil, wind back to the 3rd of December 2019. Cherries play Crystal Palace and they have a man sent off. Um, a lot of Norwich fans are like in the comments are saying, well, you know, we were down to 10 men. Of course you won. It's not always the case, though, is it? No. And I think about us at United... Um, which was superb at Old Trafford when uh, Sermon went uh, and um, against Leicester. Uh, I, I think it was Frano went in that game and um, and we were superb. I thought I thought one thing Eddie did really, really well was set us up to play with 10 men. And I, and I know that the players spoke a lot about the fact that they used to have to do it in training as a scenario. Um, we didn't attack much, but we, we were, were incredibly compact and we sat really deep. And I think Norwich... Got caught between the, you know, we're already up. Um, we don't have to sit too deep. Um, and I think it, you know, it, all, it all played into our favour, really. But they didn't play with 10 men as well as you'd expect a side that far ahead in the table to do so. We started to play more positively after that, Jeff. And we did get the ball in the back of the net. And me and you celebrated like mad. And then, obviously, we were watching without the commentary. So we weren't aware when we were doing the watch along what was happening. We thought... Surely Dan Juma's first run wasn't offside. Little did we realise that Dom Solanke got a touch when he really didn't need to get that touch. Oh. He blames the, the natural striker in him, got the better of him. Have you seen that? <laughs> yeah. Natural striker. All of a sudden, he's a natural striker. Um, yeah. yeah. Right. I mean, just, just madness. Generally, though, I felt the that we adapted better to playing 11 against 10 than they did playing with the 10 i think they they didn't really know what their game plan was they defended way too deeply i thought and uh, conceded possession to us much too cheaply so they made it easy for us and actually for all all of norwich's much vaunted defensive solidness this season we were able to get down the sides of them and in behind them really easily yesterday. And um, that that was quite staggering. I mean, Lerma's through ball to Dan Juma. I mean, it's a, it's a good through ball, but it's, it's nothing special. He just runs off the back of Aaron's to get there. Um, we should have been 1-1. We weren't 1-1. I thought that was it. I thought it's going to be one of those days. And, um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> depressed as hell. Mm. So, yeah, Solanke had that goal chalked off. And, you know, Dan Juma started to work his way into the game. But, Tom, I, I did feel that throughout the first half, um, 
you don't recognise it so much in the second when we were scoring goals, but it just felt like there was a bit of an imbalance with, you know, Dan Juma getting on the ball quite a lot. But David Brooks wasn't that effective and he was he was coming inside quite a lot. He always likes to play with the banks of midfielders and defenders in front of him. And he's not that type of player that Dan Juma is. Um, you're starting to wonder, will he keep his place? Because Junior Stanislas, he is better on the left, but he has got that pace that David Brooks seemingly hasn't anymore. Yeah, he hasn't got that um, that raw pace, like you say. And I think we were just, you know, before Mardi's on, we were just using that side more. I think Lloyd Kelly was offering a good overlap a lot as well. And it just, yeah, just more of our play seemed to go go down that side. I don't think Brooksy wasn't awful, but he just wasn't getting, yeah. in, getting involved like Arnie was. And um, yeah, I think as soon as they went down to 10 as well, we just, um, they couldn't really double up on Arnie like they like they wanted to because they had the man down. So um, we used that to our advantage. But yeah, I agree. They, they, weirdly, playing the better teams like Norwich, probably the best team to play going down to 10 because I think if you play a team near the bottom and they go down to 10 they almost play a similar way yeah Norwich aren't used to it virtually every game this season they're on the front foot and they've suddenly now got a man less and they've got to sit back and they, they just don't suit them the players they've got on the pitch are all quite flair players fullbacks like to bomb on so um yeah I don't think they were really sure what to do whereas if you play a team scrapping at the bottom they kind of they just leave one up and just play two bags of four so um yeah it definitely helped us and and yeah we were just using Arnie to to be that magic man like he like he has been lately and like I say because they couldn't double up on him he was uh, getting a lot of joy and I don't think it was necessarily Brooks's fault I just felt we were we using that side a little bit more to be honest. We started to get back into the game a lot more and Ben Pearson was integral to a lot of that Jeff and you've got to say that they were they were at him for a lot of the game obviously they went into the challenge they were trying to provoke him but I remember chatting to Jack Goodwin uh, Preston commentator who said he, he has got that temperament, but he's managed to keep a lid on it now for a number of months. And he certainly did to his credit and, you know, still played his usual style throughout the rest of that half. I thought he was a, had a really good game yesterday. He, he grew into the game. I mean, the, the sending off was, was the start of a, of a Pearson masterclass, really. Mm. Um, he took control of the midfield. Lerma is is also a hothead, so um, yeah, it's no secret. I think teams are going to look at our midfield players and and try and get them booked and try and get them niggly, sent off, whatever. Um, Jeff got booked, and the 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 fairly obvious decision at halftime for Woodgate was to take Lerma off, and actually that suited Pearson for the rest of the game. I mean, he did he yeah. he did run the midfield. Very, very well. He just does the simple things really nicely. Why do you say that was an obvious? Why do you say it was obvious? Because he was booked. Well, it was obvious because I think once Lemma gets booked, the referee psychologically is going to think, "I sent one of theirs off. I'm going to possibly even it up." I mean, they're only human. They're even mm. even if they they don't consciously think they do that, that's what that's what referees are like. You know, they want to be fair to both sides. So, I think. It was a sensible move to get Lerma off that pitch. And um, the only question was, who would he bring on? I had uh, Jack Wilshire down as the, the sub at halftime and I was wrong. Yeah, so like Neil, what happened shape-wise? Because Sam Surridge came on, but I couldn't really work out what happened. And I thought, is this going to mean that Phil Billing is not going to be as advanced? I couldn't really work out what, what happened on the pitch. Well, no, we just moved to a four-four-two. So I think it was that his thought process was, if they're going to... If they're only going to have one up front, Buki, um, we don't need a sitting midfielder as much, so we can just right. we can have you know almost back to the classic Bournemouth um, 
442 yeah. with Solanke dropping just behind uh behind Surridge. So uh and then I think Jonathan Woodgate talked afterwards about he still wanted the fullbacks to bomb on. So effectively that meant you got six attacking. If if they were gonna sit back, you've got six players attacking. So it probably I mean to me I was the same as Jeff. I, I thought we needed someone to thread a through ball. So I, I, I thought Wilshire would have come on. Um but for Lerma. But the uh but you know you can't knock it. It made made a lot of sense and it and boy did it work. Well, it did. It did. And, uh, you know, Solanke had already scored uh, from close range where we didn't want him to. He had a chance just before half time where at the near post, Dan Juma cut it back. But when you want a man um, in on goal, Sam Surridge is that man. But Neil, we all thought it was offside. But thankfully, thankfully not. Eh? Yeah, it, it, it looked offside. It happened so quick. Um, it was it was difficult. I, I thought one of our players had flicked it on and their keeper had saved yeah. it because you you don't tend to see keepers making great saves from their own players very often. So with everything happening so quick, it just looked like one of our players had flicked it on and Surridge was offside. Uh, I think the referee, again, part of Jeff said earlier, you know, great refereeing performance. He'd yeah. seen it. So he went across to check with the linesman. What did you actually give the offside for? Did you give it for Surridge's position when the cross came in or did you give it for when he scored? And the linesman would have said, well, I gave it for when he scored. And then the referee allowed the goal because he knew the final touch before that was from a defender. So it was all really good class officialdom. Just a sentence I don't say very often in my life. <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, it, no, you know, fantastic. And fair play because I'm not a massive fan of Surridge and Solanke playing together because I just think they're too similar. Um, right. But uh, I guess Surridge is potentially a better goal scorer from from crosses and simple, simple things. Um, and... Uh, yeah, he didn't do a lot else, did he, Surridge? But it was what he did do was crucial. And whilst it wasn't a direct assist for Dan Juma, Tom showed his quality yet again on that side. He can be such a danger, very unpredictable. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, he can go both ways, can't he? And he was he was tying the fullback, Aaron Zambwendia and Notch, really. But um but yeah, I think it was like we said, it was a, a positive change. I was exactly the same, probably would have went for Wilshire. I think uh Lerma made the decision, you know, whether it would be Pearson or Lerma, who's going to take one of them off or even Billing, but and go to a four, go to, um, you know, take one of the midfielders off. But um, Lerma's yellow forced that. But yeah, I think it was either get Jack Wilshire on because you know you're going to have all of the ball and hope he does something, or like like he uh, Woodgate said, I wanted to keep the fullbacks bombing on. So if you're going to get more balls in the box, you might as well have another body alongside Dom Solanke. So worked well. And yeah, Sorridge is a player that's not technically the greatest, but he does seem to just get on the end of things, doesn't he? He can he can poach and cause a nuisance and um it was a massive goal in the game because I think when you play against ten men, you come out of that second half, if we had gone 10, 15, 20 minutes, it would have just been a real slog. And but getting that early goal just changes everything. And suddenly you think you can win the game. So it was a massive goal and yeah, it was once again it was coming down Arnie's side and it's Max Aaron's best right back in the league. Got absolutely destroyed. So he got destroyed all game. The uh, the really pleasing thing, I mean, having watched us play over the last couple of seasons, was just how uh, how well we got behind them. I think I, I think that influenced the decision to put Surridge on because the problem with just having Solanke in the box is that sometimes those crosses coming in, you're only aiming at Solanke, and he's not a natural to make that sort of um, near post run that sometimes our players need because you know we all know how much we under hit crosses, right? And and I think having having another player in there, Surridge, another another target means that you're forcing one to go near, one to go far, and it just it just gives us more opportunity. And because Dan Juma, in particular, and Kelly was so good at getting behind Aaron's and Buendia, 
we needed more bodies in the box and it, it it was it was a brilliant call Jonathan Woodgate take my hat off to you I'm sure we'll talk more about Jonathan Woodgate as time goes on but Neil then there was a a crazy two minutes where Norwich were millimetres away from uh, retaking the lead with Buendia turning on a sixpence on the edge of the box. And, you know, from one particular angle, it was going in, it's going in, it's going in. Oh, it, it just goes wide. And it's like, thank God he's got that curl on it for us. But then Dan Juma does his thing. Talk us through that goal. I mean, bloody hell. Unbelievable. <laughs> it was, I mean, it was it was incredible. I mean, he was, I mean, like Tom said, he was absolutely giving Max Ahrens a game to forget. And just those little flicks that he was doing over his legs uh, to be where it looked like he was going to nutmeg him. And then he fl- just flicked it over his standing leg where, were was, was absolutely brilliant. So it started with one of those from the flank. Um, I didn't realize until I watched the replay, just how far back down the pitch and far out on the flank he was when he got the ball. Um, so, I mean, he really came in a, a long way. He kept coming in, he kept coming in when he shot it. And I think this is what um, fooled Tim Krul as well. Nine times out of ten in that position, you go for the far post. You go for a, a curl towards the top top yeah. bins of the far post. The fact that he came back across himself, it was quite an, uh, an unusual kicking motion that he had when you watch it back. He kind of stabs it from, from yeah. almost behind him. Yeah, there's uh, no backlift. There's no backlift. And I think that's, I think, you know, because you look at it and you think coming from that far, it wasn't like an absolute bullet. That perhaps he, you know, perhaps the keeper could have got it, but I think it's because he fooled him with that whole no backlift thing, and Cruel would have been heading towards the other post. Um, but it was a, it was a, his best goal for us, and a moment of uh, of absolute beauty. And I just, I always think with these things, what a shame there's not crowd in there to, because if ever there was a goal that needed a, an away section leaping in the air, it was that one. Mm. But uh, brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Not that we'll hear about it from him; he'll be he'll be really humble about it. He's probably forgotten it already. Should he be on that plane, Tom, for, for Holland? Get him on the plane. I'm telling <laughs> you. I remember I used to always say that um, best one of the best players I've seen in the Bournemouth show was Nathan Ake. Not even the best Dutchman, was he? Unbelievable. <laughs> um, no, it's, it's, it's incredible to see him see him doing it. I mean, he got a bit of ridicule from quite a few fans from you know some of the things he said. But if he's doing that on the pitch, you can't argue with it. Um, backing it up with numbers, what a goal. It was incredible. And he feels like the only one that would have taken it on and yeah. Like you say, it was a really weird hit because I just I don't know how he bent it round like that. It was yeah, it was incredible, and he was he was on it all game. He's been on it all game for for a long period of time now. And um, but yeah, I love him. And I saw his his interview after the game as well. Just said straight away when they were talking about Lloyd Kelly, he said, "Well, yeah, Lloyd gets down there quite well because they always double up on me." He said, "I just love it. He lo- I love his yeah. confidence. I think when it's going well, it looks really good, doesn't it? Because you think, oh, you want him to be selfish. I want him to be confident. I like that." Yeah. Um, but he's backing it up at the moment, and. Um, yeah, they just couldn't cope with him. And we needed that bit of magic at that time. So um, it was always going to come from Arnie. Yeah, it was. And there was a tweet that he wrote on the 16th of January. And he said, the, uh, the loss is a tough pill to swallow today. Especially when I'm not there in person to contribute to the team. He said, we win together, we lose together. Take this as a promise. I'm on it and I'll do everything that's in my power for the team, the fans, the club. When I'm back, just watch. I'm surprised he didn't you know, deliver that from a lectern. But you know what? Fair play. Jeff, he is delivering. And his numbers are now starting to back up all of the things he's saying. Whereas previously, they weren't quite. He was putting in some abject performances. But now, mentally, he seems to be on it. And he's also smiling as well. And that combination with Kelly 
is really looking good. Um, I think we've we've struggled to to find out who is our best left back this season, and Lloyd Kelly is now the man in possession. Doesn't look like um, anybody's going to take that shirt off him, and I think that's really helped Arnie. Kelly's got confidence, you know, he's overlapping, he's shooting, he's scoring as well. And it's all those combinations that we've talked about this season. Have we got those combinations or are we playing too much as individuals? Yesterday, we destroyed them down that left flank. And that's because Kelly and Arnie together are unstoppable when they're in that mood. And it was brilliant to watch. He's level on the goals now with Solanke, so joint top scorer. Right, yeah. Wow. You know, if he gets if he gets six more, he'll be top scorer with twenty goals this season, which would be astonishing for a for a man playing the position he plays. He got an injury as well, didn't he? He missed like like we just saw with the tweet. He did yeah. miss a period as well. But I think it's a good point. I think that um, Lloyd Kelly deserves massive credit, and it's building them them partnerships. And we've said it a, a few times, um, so I won't go over it too much. But with kind of over rotation that we said we've done quite a lot under JT, and it'd be easy for Woodgate when we've got such good. You know, the backup fullbacks are not that much worse, or if they are worse, than, than the two in front of them. But it would be easy for him to go, I'll just bring Stacey in for this one, I'll just bring Rico in for this one and just rotate them. But he's not. And I mean, a lot of people would say Stacey to Smith is nothing in terms of an upgrade or a downgrade. But you've got to keep that continuity sometimes and uh, keep their relationships on the flanks. And I think that's really helped us. And Woodgate does deserve a lot of credit for that. So the change was made, which was uh, Stanislas for Brooks. And then, yeah, we spoke about Lloyd Kelly, Neil. And... Mm-hmm. Lloyd Kelly scored his first goal for us. Um, you to describe all the goals today, I love it. Yeah, yeah. So, but once again, it was Arnie. I and Lloyd. remember them. Sometimes you ask me, and I'm thinking, what was that one then? <laughs> well, it started off with Arnie on the left flank, didn't it? And then he sort of did his thing where he sort of waited to go. And that's what I. Someone said he's a bit like Jordan Ibe in that he just stands and then he'll either go or yeah. he'll cut back. And but he's he's better than that, obviously. But this time he laid it back to Lloyd Kelly and. When it came back to him, I, I, I wasn't expecting the shot. No. So, yeah, he did exactly that thing. It was me that compared him to Jordan I, but only for one thing and one thing only. It was uh, it was just just that ability to stand still and then go, which which yeah. which tricks fullbacks. Um, and he, uh, yeah, so he, he, he did it absolutely superbly. Cut, cut a little bit into the box, laid it back to Kelly. I think we were all expecting a swinging far post-cross for Surridge. Um, and uh, he hit, it was a strange, like, daisy-cutting type yeah. uh, shot. I mean, I, I remember when he hit it, thinking, well, there's no way that's going in. Uh, don't know if Tim Krull might be a little bit disappointed. I'd, I would be. I would have expected Begovic to have got it had it been against us. But that said, it was perfectly placed, and there was a defender. He used a defender to, to sort of shoot it past the keeper um, and block his vision. Uh, so no, great way to get on, off, and that—that's the—that was what we needed. We need—we always need a two-goal cushion with this side, don't we? And it, I think everyone just relaxes. Otherwise, it would have been a hell of a last five, ten minutes, and you know who knows they might have nicked one. So. That was a real relief on on Woodgate's face. There's a, there's a good yeah. clip when Kelly scores, and I think I think he's almost yeah. saying give it, give it, and then when he scores, you could just see the relief of that third goal. And I think we were all the same. But um, yeah, I agree. I felt um, Tim Crawl went down really late. Like and it almost whether it was like Neil said went through a body and he almost didn't see it till late. He went down really late and I think if he had, if he had judged it earlier, he might have got to it. But yeah, great, great for Lloyd. The champagne before the game. Yeah, maybe, maybe. But yeah, great, great for Lloyd because he's uh, doing it with performances. So nice that he can uh, get a goal from it. 
special shout out to the linesman who continued his horror show in that second half because I think Arnie was offside when that ball gets mm -hmm. played through to him. Oh, yeah, yeah, it was, yeah. Um, well, bring so, that up, Jeff. Well, you know, I know Norwich fans were sort of jumping up and down saying that we were we were playing with 14 men against 10, but, you know. Arnie was that good, you're right. Yeah. That would have, that VAR would have chalked that one off, that's for sure, because uh, it was Surridge, Surridge played the world's worst through ball to a to a to a central position ever, uh, and, but it was uh, no, he was he was clearly offside. It, VAR would have chalked it off had it been in the in the league above. I think I think the interesting thing from from a Norwich perspective, if you if you're moaning about the result yesterday and being you know out for whatever whatever whatever, look at your stats. You had one shot and goal, and that was in the fifth minute that was actually on target. Begovic didn't have to work at all, really, during the game. I know Buendia had that shot that, that went just past the post, but actually going forwards, you didn't create that much. And I think it's it's natural. I was listening to Talk Norwich City podcast, and it is natural to take your foot off the gas a little bit. I don't care what people say, but look, they had... They had one that well not won the league. I mean, they will win the league, but they had secured promotion. Oh, how important was it to them, Jeff, to actually get the three points? Um, they, well, they they took Puki off, they took Buendia off. You know, their main attacking threats they conceded after our second goal. I think it was before we got the third. Um, so you, you kind of wonder whether what's more important to Norwich now is the game they've got on Tuesday, where they obviously want to win the title. They probably will win the title. If they beat Watford, they'll certainly win the title. And that, that game is Tuesday. So I'm pretty sure he was saving them for, for that, really. Game, game over. A few players we haven't mentioned today, one of which I think Neil probably deserves some credit. Steve Cook, 350 league appearances by the sounds of it, and um, didn't really put a foot wrong yesterday. I mean, I think him and Lloyd Kelly might want to you know, work on that relationship where Pookie just poked the ball between him. It was very similar to another goal that we conceded against Reading, I think, in the first half, where um, him and the fullback got caught out with a ball, you know, just between him and then the running behind. But, you know, aside from that, I think he was um, a true leader yesterday in 350 games. No mean feat, is it? No, and uh, not only did he not put a foot wrong, but he didn't put a hand wrong, which is always a benefit when he plays at Carrow Road. <laughs> so, uh, so that was good. Um, I mean, no, I mean, he's. I, I've, I've, I've always loved Steve Cook. I know he went through a little period of the odd dodgy back pass around about probably his fiftieth to hundredth appearance mark, but um, he was. He, he he's just such a superb player. When he retires or moves on, we'll miss him incredibly because he. He's he's like a quicker, fitter version of Tommy Elphick was in the championship for us. He throws himself in the way of everything. He won't let anyone in the side let up. He, he is a true, true leader. And uh, and sometimes I just think you just got to applaud a moment of brilliance. And that goal from Norwich was was a moment of brilliance. I, I don't think they particularly they could have closed that gap down that he flicked it flicked it through. Um, but no, superb, superb character and player. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And like you say, yeah, no handball antics. So pretty good. So there we are. 3-1 then. And really decent result for AFC Bournemouth. And it you know, makes it six in a row. Woodgate, Neil, proving himself. Inspired decision from the board, eh? Yeah, looks like it, doesn't it, now? Um, I'm not... Uh, it, who's to say? Who's to say? I think what when you look at what he's done, um, he he's... He's done, Tom said earlier, he's put a settled side out. Right, so we stopped the rotation. 
He stopped the five at the back. He moved to the four-three-three that everyone could see with Dan Juma. He cut. He, he he wasn't right playing wide of a four. He doesn't do the defensive work. Um, that's freed him up and Brooks up to do to be less defensive. So he's found the right formation. He stopped messing around with the personnel coming in and out. And I think through that, the team of the, the, the squad is so good that they were always going to win football matches if those two things were applied to them. And when you start winning football matches, all the bits we were worried about, like the body language, they're not celebrating goals, all of that starts to come flooding back. And we're now playing like the personnel that we've got in, in the club. Um, little bit, possibly, obviously a little bit too late for automatic promotion, or there might be that, you know, might be an outside shot when you look at Watford's fixtures, but I'm sure we'll talk about that later. So I just hope that it, it comes off for him in the playoffs because the problem with the playoffs you could have a, we could have a moment like Norwich had, you know, yesterday where, where a player gets sent off and it changes the course of the game. It's, it's, you know, it's up in the lap of gods. But no, he's he's done a he's done a superb job. Mm. And Tom, I think Alex Deutsch tweeted that had we signed any other manager and they had led AFC Bournemouth to six wins on the bounce, we would call it a roaring success. Um, do you think? Had we not had that half-assed statement from the board and to Cherry's trust about the way that he was appointed, it would maybe just look a little bit more of an inspired appointment. Uh, maybe, um, yeah, it's a difficult one, isn't it? They'll, um, you know, if we end up getting promoted, they'll say, you know, we knew he was the right man, you know, and you can't say anything about it. But um, I think it's still, you know, still all the things I said. I think. Um, still stand firm that I think it was probably just a, an easy, a bit of a lazy appointment. They didn't really do the recruitment process brilliantly, but they fell on their feet. And he's obviously a, a good guy. We've, we've, we spoke before about kind of dressing rooms he's been in. He was a top, top player. Um, and he's obviously done all his coaching and things like that. And like Neil said, look at the players. I mean, I would like to think any of us forwards, if the players decided to turn up, probably get top six. I mean, for all Jason Tindall's kind of failings and the, the bad run we went on, he was never outside the top six, even with that. Because the players are that good, they're going to win football matches. Um, but having said that, Woodgate's come in, like we said, settled team. He's clearly got them smiling and confident again and things like that. So he, he deserves enormous credit for that. And he's um, quite likeable and everything's going going really nicely. But um, at the end of the day, he's still got to try and get us promoted. That's that's the aim. And I almost think, we spoke about it a little bit before, but because he won't give him that long contract, he's, he's just thinking of the here and now. It's just game to game. And we're just going through it like that and playing like, mini cup finals or whatever, but six in a row. Yeah. Can't be, can't be sniffed at. It's um, in this league as well. I don't think, I, I don't know. I mean, it was, you get any sort of consistency in the championship and you're laughing because yeah. it's, we've, I mean, we've seen that over the weekend, haven't we? Only team in the top nine, I think to win. That's just ridiculous. That's just the championship. And, um, you know, every time you look at fixture runs and that, I try not to take too much of it on board because anything can happen. I mean, Swansea against Wickham, we go, well, that's that done. That's a Swansea win. And we were going, well, we ain't going to beat Norwich, you know, and it doesn't really, you know, it doesn't ring true. We said, you know, zero points off Sheffield Wednesday, six off Norwich. So it's that sort of league. So, yeah, you get six runs, uh, six wins in a row. Deserves massive credit for that. So fair play to him. I think one thing about Woodgate, he connects really well with the fans, even though we're not in the stadium. But yeah. we all feel when you watch his interviews, you know, he's talking like to us, you know, he's, he's really good at that. And any... AFC Bournemouth manager that ends his media interviews with up the cherries. I mean, media genius, that guy. Can I just say as well, it's funny when he celebrates goals, he's more like a fan because there's always a couple of expletives come out of his mouth when he's, when he celebrates a goal. You think Eddie, you know, obviously we love him to bits, but he, 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 
you know, if it was a massive match, he'd let himself go a bit. But normally he'd just pick a notebook up and make a note about something that happened five minutes before. Yeah. Whereas Jonathan, Jonathan Woodgate's like, he's just piled out the pub and he's enjoying a, a goal. It's great. Uh, okay, in hindsight then, Neil, it's easy to say, but should JT have been sacked earlier? Uh, well, he should never have been given the job. In, in, <laughs> no, okay. if, you, if you want to go with total hindsight. Um <laughs> He should have been sacked earlier for one reason and one reason only. Whoever was coming in should have been given the transfer window. So the other the other thing, if you wanted to really praise Jonathan Woodgate, is he he's he's had to come in and pick up a demoralised bunch of players, none of which he signed. He hasn't had a chance. To, you know, most managers coming into that situation would would think, you know, I just need a left back to kick this group on, or I need a I'm going to go get a ball winning midfielder, you know, something like that. He he hasn't had a chance to do any of that. He's had to go with all of. JT's personnel. So if the board knew they were going to make a change, they should have made it in the start of January. Yeah, I think if you work back, you go, shouldn't have really given him the job. Once you gave gave Tyndall the job, you couldn't sack him early on because we were the only unbeaten side in England. So, you know, we were doing all right. Then went on a bad run. And then, like Neil said, you either pull the trigger just before the window or you might as well stick with him for the rest. That's how it felt. Um, but yeah, I don't think it's easy in hindsight and stuff like that, isn't it? But um, I think what, yeah, what he still deserves credit for is the two players at the moment that I think have really helped are Ben Pearson and Carter Vickers. Mm. And they were two players, like I say. That's, that's if, if, if the last thing, I know technically it was Shane Long, but if one of the last things Tyndall did was get Ben Pearson, then I'm happy. It's not a bad way to leave, do you know what I mean? Because he has been great. And, and it's weird because he's a proper Woodgate player as well. So is Carter Vickers. Mm. So that's, that's worked, worked really well. But, um, yeah, I don't know. It is, is, is a difficult one. But um, to be fair, that was the when Tyndall went, it was when we had that first real bad run, wasn't it? So I suppose it wasn't really going to happen much earlier. But um, we're all happy now, anyway. All happy at the moment. I mean, when the, the, there's a lot of there's a lot of guff talked about strategies and plans and everything else. We've reacted to events. We've got to the position we're in. We're in a really good place. Everything's come together. Um, more by luck than by design and and you know let's let's enjoy it while we can so speaking of positions then where can we finish jeff we're currently sat in fifth position i think tom said we're the only team inside the top nine that actually won this weekend we are on the same points as brentford in fourth who've played a game fewer than us but we're two points behind swansea in third we're eight points behind watford talk to me jeff where are we going to finish well, this is the time for, for, you know, mathematically possible and all those dreadful cliches. Actually, what you find in, the, in these final few games is that teams will drop points. So we're on a run of six wins. Our club record was eight wins back in 2012-13. Uh, anyone remember Carlisle? That was the eighth win in a row. Right. And look what happened then when we did that. So, if we win three more games in a row, we've broken the club record, which would be some achievement. You know, it's, it's going to be a tough call. But if we win all four, that puts real pressure on those teams above us. I can't see Swansea doing a whole lot more. You know, that result they got against Wickham, I think they, they might win one more, maybe one or two more. But I don't see them getting, getting a clean sheet like us. Brentford obviously will lose to us, so you know they're gonna they're gonna struggle. 
And then Watford is the really interesting one because they play Norwich away. If they lose that game on Tuesday night and all the teams above us will play Tuesday night before our Wednesday fixture, which again, I think is another advantage for us. We can see how they do. Any of those three teams that drop points, I think, give us a real momentum going into that Millwall game. If we beat Millwall, let's see where we are because Watford are not out of reach with Swansea and Brentford still to play. Yeah, so let's talk about our team personnel going forward then. And Neil, we've we've suggested that it could be Jack Wilshire at home, Ben Pearson away, but you're starting to think Ben Pearson can't be dropped. It, not anymore. I think clearly that was the case because we saw it. I would be amazed now if he brought Wiltshire back in for Pearson in any game. I think his I think his fear was that maybe we were just too set up defensively with Lerma and Pearson together. But I think the team have proved that they can score goals with those two in the side. Uh, Pearson set up a goal with that um, pirouette when he came uh, came on recently as well. So I would be amazed if this side doesn't, barring injury, if this side doesn't see out the season and playoffs. And what about David Brooks? I, I just thought he was... He's always got that spark every so often. He does something, for instance, that you know that move that I think it was Huddersfield away where he was integral to the to the move. But other than that, he didn't he didn't sort of do too much. He'll, he'll always have a moment, but mm. not Dan Juma moments. No, it's, it's a weird one, and I think we still got to put into context that he's had he's had a lot of injuries and he you know things like that. But yeah, it's a weird one because quite a lot of the time, he, him and him and Junior are both players that have got quality, and sometimes they go missing in games and then they pop up with a bit of magic or or whatever and nice nice sort of moves. They're great players. Junior seems to back up a bit better with numbers, in my opinion, um, which is why I think you know he would come on more. I, that that could be a position that maybe rotates a little bit. I think it's it's hard to say going forward because listen, we could win the next game or or whatever, and then because of results going elsewhere, we can literally be we can only get playoffs. We can't get automatic, and that's just done. And we've got kind of even though you know we could get fifth, fourth, fifth, uh, third, fourth, fifth, or sixth, the last few games might be kind of a bit irrelevant. And then that's where you might see, well, which players are struggling a little bit more fatigued because he knows we got we got playoffs. So that's where we might have a few changes, I feel, because if we go into them last two games and we can only finish third to sixth, he might just just play around a little bit just because you don't want any injuries. Um, you saw that. You saw that yesterday. As soon as the win was in the bag, Arnie was off, for example. Um, I think if we had to win them all, the only I agree, I think Pearson's going to stay in, but I think... If there's a game, he might maybe wick them. Because I still think you've got to look at the game. And Ben Pierce is brilliant, by the way. And he's more than just a hard-tackling midfielder. He's got a lot more about him. But I think you've got to look at the opposition. I think Will Gates done that really well. And looking at the fixtures we've got to come, Wickham might be one. It depends because they might be down. But they might be one where we might have a lot of the ball more than in the other games. So maybe more of a shout for Wilshire in that one. But to be honest, I mean, just having Wilshire as an option going into the playoffs would be good. What, what does everyone think? If we if we just said, for argument's sake, we win all four of our games, we win them all. So we go 10 unbeaten, 10 wins in a row, we win every single game. Do we get second? Do we think, because I think if Watford only get four points or less, we would if we won every game. Watford have got Swansea, Norwich, Brentford. Who else have they got? Millwall? Millwall. Millwall. They, they might lose a few of them. They might. Uh, if we had three points more. Yeah. If we had beaten Barnsley. This is when you start looking back at some of the yeah. some of the stupid games, um, uh, you know, like the, the the Lutons at home and the the Sheffield Wednesday. Uh, Jesus, you look back at those because if if we had three points more, 
I think we'd do it. I just, I think we just eight points is a massive gap to make up over four games. No matter how hard Watford's run is, they they won't lose all those games. They won't lose them. I think they might they might draw more than they win though. And that you know points if they lose to Norwich is the key, right? If they lose that game on Tuesday night, that puts them under real pressure. Swansea and Brentford are going to be gunning for them because they want to they want to go up. And I think those games might end in draws. And then it's all down to that Millwall game whether they can win it or not. I think it's quite a nice position for us to be in because, you know, from Woodgate's point of view, you go, we're not expected to, you know, because we're relying on other results. Just just win. If you, if you win your four games, see what happens. So if we just keep winning, you know, and you just see what happens. But don't don't let it be a bit that if you, when you drop points in the last four, go, if we had won, we would have got second. You don't want that. I think the thing is, you know, they just lost to Luton, Watford. If they then lose to Norwich, it starts going up here a little bit. We've lost does, a couple yeah. of games. And that, that's yeah. the thing. Watford are a good team. But once you lose a couple on the balance, then you start... You're looking over your shoulders. I mean, they were looking at Norwich. Now they're thinking, oh, my God, we're going to let these back in. And, uh, yeah, I think, honestly, I think, you know, we're just beating Norwich. We're all in a good mood. But I think Watford will have enough. I'd like to think we're more than capable of winning the four games. But um, still an ask to win all four. But, um, yeah, I think Watford will probably have too much. But, listen, right now, I couldn't care less who we got in the playoffs. If, if you stopped it now and said they're the teams in the playoffs, the bookies will make us massive favourites. Yeah. Massive favourites because not only with form but squad, everything would say Bournemouth have got to be the favourites here. So, um, yeah, even if we're in the playoffs, I, I you'd like to think you never know what happens in one off games and stuff like that. But start to feel a little bit confident, which I'm not sure about. But yeah, I, I think we're going up. <laughs> just, just about David Brooks, I think he needs a shot of self belief and confidence from somewhere. Maybe Arnie could, you know, give him a one to one session on how to believe in yourself. Because that goal that Arnie scores yesterday, how many times have we seen Brooks this season cut inside and hit the ball, you know, scuff it or balloon it over? And if if he, he does that all the time but has not hit the target for, well, I can't remember the last time he scored one of those. If he just gets one of those, he's capable of doing exactly what Arnie did yesterday. He just needs to believe in himself a bit more that he can do that still. Yeah, I remember, was it really early in the season? I think it might have been Birmingham away. I was on a... Uh, Birmingham kind of channel doing a thing and they were just saying well we just couldn't cope with Brooks like he's the best player in the league and all this stuff we all know he's got it in him and I think what's interesting is we've we've been fortunate enough to speak to a few like ex-players and stuff and I remember speaking to Frano and we said kind of who's the best player you've kind of played with and traded and he just said David Brooks without hesitation yeah. and like, it kind of surprised me a little bit but all these you know ex-players and that say oh he's technically the best by a mile and you think I don't and, and that to me is massive and I think well you know Frano's trained with him you know he's played with him he's the managers know it. You know, he's people talk about 50 million. Everyone knows how good he is. I, I personally haven't seen it. I've, I've seen little bits now and again. And I think, but I don't, I remember when he come back after, you know, behind closed doors when we were trying to stay up and he was bigged up as the saviour. And then going into this season, it was bigged up as he's the best player in the league. And to me, I just think he's a bloody good player. But we're talking about now, if you had to make one change to the next game, I think it would be Brooks. And that shouldn't be the case if he's that good. So I see a talented player, but to me, I'm not. I don't see this unbelievable player. I don't see this fifty million pound player personally. I, I I would snap your hand off for it. I'd love him to prove me wrong, but to me, he would. Does he get in the starting lineup? I mean, he shouldn't be. We shouldn't be questioning that. I think what saves him is that um, when you talk about numbers for Stanislas, they, they are better, but they're not better when Stanislas plays on the right. I think if you did yeah, a true. 
I look at Stanislas's numbers on the right. He, he's he's not a player that plays on the wing on on his correct foot, and I, I I think that's what's saving David Brooks at the moment. That there isn't a right winger that we see as a better option uh, coming in, and, and maybe with some of the players we've had before at the club that played on the right, he he probably wouldn't possibly wouldn't get in the side um, uh, in in that position. So uh, you know, if Matt Ritchie was here, for example, I don't think he'd be, had Matt Ritchie come in the in Christmas uh, the Christmas window. I don't think he'd be playing. Mm. Do you think um, the formation in the second half? I mean, I've got to say that Lerma, Tom, we've chatted about before, and we've said sometimes he's not. Um, you know, he don't play football with the bells and whistles, but when he's missing, you do tend to realise it. I didn't find that yesterday, though, because no, he was off, like, like never knew he was out. Well, soon, soon as it, uh, to me, like, like I said earlier with the with the yellow card, that forces hand. But soon as you're playing against a team and they go down to 10 men, there's no point of having Jefferson Lerma then because of the role he's, he's asked to do. Um, there's no real point because he's, he's, he's our best player off the ball. I mean, he is a good yeah. footballer, but he's our best player off the ball. Well, you'd like to think going in against 10 men, we should have all the ball. And you don't need Pearson and Lerma there. Um you, you don't, and and I I still think the, the yellow probably tipped it. I think if Pearson was on a booking and Lerma yeah. wasn't, it might have been Pearson. But um, yeah, no fair fair play fair play to Woodgate for that. It was just like we said, whether he was going to get Wilshire on. But even if he didn't have Sorridge available, you still would have put Wilshire over Lerma because you, you're going to have more of the ball yeah. then. Um, yeah, it definitely definitely opposition dependent, and um, because I think that we like like you said, we mentioned that like, Southampton game where we couldn't have him so noticeable because Southampton are a blooming good team who had more of the ball. Um, but yeah, it was uh, it was the right call. You know how much I love Lerma. He would have been the one I was taking off at half time, definitely. Um, you know, and in terms uh, of the bite gate, we did, you know the club still hasn't heard anything, so I just presume it's gone away. I mean, I, I had a few moments about the end of the month. Yeah, so did I, but apparently not as of two weeks ago. The club's heard nothing, and uh, this is from an, an informed source. And I thought it's a case of you usually hear something, you know, one way or the other. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, I just hope it don't come back to bite us. It's been oh, nearly half man. a year. It's been five months and 15 days since the actual incident happened, which was 3rd of uh, November or whatever it was against Sheffield Wednesday. And then he got charged on the 22nd of December, so over a month later. And it's still one little, it's got to have gone away. Bloody it's got off. And I, I remember when we were speaking, you know, we've said about kind of that, that window and we said, did we really, I mean, Pearson's been great. And we obviously got Wilshire in before. That wasn't an area we really needed strengthen. And I, in the back of my head, I was thinking, was Tyndall worried about this Lerma thing and thinking that's why? You know, because he didn't know Lewis Cook was going to be out for the season. No, no. I was very surprised we went for Pearson and Wilshire. So my thought was that yeah, they're they're waiting for Lerma to get this ban, but it's just gone away. And I don't. I mean, we've seen a few angles. There's nothing. I can't say he definitely didn't, but there's nothing conclusive enough to be able to give him a ban in what I've seen. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's Jefferson Lerma. Do I? You know, I'd like to say he definitely didn't, but he probably would have bit someone if he wanted to. I don't know. But, <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah, it seems to have gone away a little bit. I'd be very surprised if it suddenly, and it would look really harsh if they suddenly went, you know, we got into the playoffs and they went, no, we're charging him. He's not playing in the playoffs. Yeah, well, hang yeah. on a minute. You've had five months. Yeah, you know, yeah. we, should have, we could have had him back by now or whatever. But yeah, it seems really weird. It has just seemed to have gone away, which is, but like you say, you would have thought you would have heard that no extra charges, but you know, it's well, 3-1 victors then at the Champions-Elect, let's be fair. They're going to win the league, aren't they? Pretty pretty good result and Bournemouth make it the joy of six. Can it be seven against Millwall? We certainly hope so. It's been a pleasure to have your company tonight, guys. Tom, <laughs> thanks, thanks very much. Up cherries. Jeff, it's been a pleasure. Up the cherries. And Neil, cheers, mate.
Cheers. See you soon. Beautiful. Great to hear from the lads. Myself and Jeff Hayward did a watch along. And if you want to watch that or the highlights, some fan reaction, including us being joined by Nonny at half time, the amazing John Garrard, who, who even gave us a Red Army as well. Check it out on YouTube. It's youtube.com forward slash AFCB podcast. Absolutely love doing it. And we've got a 100% win record when doing these shows. I think we've got to carry them on, eh? This is Matt Holland and you're listening to Back of the Net. Well then, that just about wraps up another show. On YouTube, Tom Jordan returns with Tiege Talks after that 3-1 win at Carrow Road against promoted Norwich City. It was a performance, as we've already discussed, where each and every player played their part. Therefore, it's very interesting to see which player, apart from the obvious, comes out well in his scores out of 10. But brilliant stuff from Cherries at the weekend. Numerical advantage aside, despite that poor early 15 minutes, I thought we'd dominate the rest of the game. Going on to, well, let's face it, we scored four, one of which was disallowed due to Dom. Stop being so selfish, Dom. Never thought I'd say that. Anyway, great stuff. We're back next week. Hopefully more smiles. But until then, thanks for tuning in. This has been Back of the Net, the AFC Bournemouth podcast. Here's Dan Juma, edge of the D, pulls the trigger from distance and finds the top corner. What a strike from Arnold Dan Juma, magic. And Bournemouth are spinning the decks, playing the tunes at Norwich's promotion party. Podcast Network.